It's Thursday again, tell everybody to lock in Grab some popcorn, a drink, and go and throw your AirPods in It's a one-hour show, constantly speaking facts Bulletproof stats are always shooting from Matt And when it comes to Kyle, you getting numbers and style Jake is gonna educate you, he has that knowledge on fire Player, step your game up, don't be sluggish or lazy Or Jimmy J might hit you with a shaky baby Catch him on YouTube or any podcast platform Breaking all the news down like Shaq does the backboards No hot takes, this is where the hottest debate's at Now kick your feet up, cause it's time for Straight Facts What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to Straight Facts, a sports show that educates and entertains. Brought to you by the Up All Game Podcast Network. It's your boy, Jimmy J. My full roster's here with me. Jake Galley, Kyle Sirik, and Stat Matt Robinson. These three are in panic mode. These yeah. three, their panties are in a bunch because their series is going 3-2. My series is also 3-2. My series is also 3-2. For but your, your series is 3-2 in a way different manner than my series is I mean, The biggest difference between my series and your series is that you don't have Doc Rivers as your coach. Yeah, huge, you have the guy that huge difference. Kept and not let Brett Brown go another year. Yeah, but that's a huge difference. That's why, that's why you're more of a panic mode than I am. You ever see the SpongeBob? I know you have the SpongeBob gif. Where they're all running around, it's all the SpongeBob's in his brain running around. Everything's on fire. On fire, yeah. That is how like Sixers Twitter uh, writes to Ricky Sanchez group, which I'm in on Twitter. Every Sixers fan I know is like already doom and gloom. It's over. You were done for. And it's funny because you guys were doing that after the game five loss. And I even said after the game five loss, like, calm down. This is a, a team with championship DNA. To think they're going to roll over and get swept is ridiculous. And then you know. Now, 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 now it's now, now we're. we're I mean, I'm sorry. After the game, the game four loss is what I said, and then I was. And then after game four, that's what I'm saying. The game game four, game four, four, chilling, and then game five, I'm like, oh, now we're now standing on the barrel because I, I admit, I wouldn't want to go back to Toronto for a game six either. It It kind of seems like it was only eight months ago now. And we did the same type of collapse <sighs> against the Hawks, and this one will be even worse. It and it's feels it's too wild weird. that you guys don't want to go to a game seven at home. That's actually kind of crazy. Don't, why, like, why would we? You have no choice to. Of course, you like, wouldn't obviously want to. You don't want to. Like, I guess in the circumstances, you wouldn't want to have if, to go to a game yeah. seven. You really like, have to hate yourself if you're a Sixers fan if you buy tickets to game seven because you're spending money to go to potentially the worst sporting event you'll ever be at. You're going to spend like $150 to watch your heart. It's tough. I never never think about going to the game. The same reason that you just laid out is exactly why uh, Raptors game six in the the, uh, series that they ended up losing, obviously, on the Kawhi shot to get in the door. Well, that was in game seven. Game six was in Wells Fargo Center. It was $60 to get in the door. $60 $60 for a playoff game, like game six. How do you, really how do you turn that down? How do you say no to that? I mean, I didn't. I was at the top of the stadium, and it was an awesome game. Jimmy Butler went off. Um, but that does illustrate your point, Matt. Like, there is dread in Philadelphia. Do not get it He's twisted. He's right. Because yeah. even if you win, it doesn't feel that good. It's no. more a sense of relief than joy. Thank God. The, the city gets to survive another day. All right. So it sounds like you guys have, have learned a lot of things in your playoff travels as Sixers fans. So we're going to go into this first segment talking about the NBA playoffs and what we've learned through all these first round matchups, because I think I want to treat this as a little bit of, of kind of two things. One things we've learned just within the series itself, but also things we've learned like that, that kind of maybe that we didn't know or that we thought we knew in the regular season. And now 
it's kind of flipped now that we've seen him through a first-round playoff matchup. But the first one, we'll go through the most interesting, maybe not the most, like, you know, you know, scintillating series, but to me the most interesting series, and that's the Nets – or the Celtics sweeping the Nets for zip, and the Nets end up going home with, with KD and Kyrie, the the favorite to win the title coming into the NBA season. And now most of them probably have already hit their vacation destinations, which – is wild. So I think the first thing that we've learned is the Nets need somebody else, whether that's Ben Simmons, whether that's James Harden, whether that's Jesus himself, the Nets need somebody else. That's the first thing that we've learned in this series. And Nets fans, don't say we didn't tell you so. Like just But they didn't even get him yet. I don't feel bad. I I I should say that's I feel point. I yeah. feel a little bad yeah. Yeah. because I've been there. I've been there where I'm like, huh. Yeah, he's walking around like he's Jordan. <laughs> We've got Jordan. We've got Defensive Player of the Year. Oh, he only needs to play 10 games. Oh, he only needs to add a jump shot. I mean, list off whatever it may be. This dude is a number one charlatan I've ever seen, like, on a large scale. Like, you could put him up there with, like, some of the best con artists of all time. So I do feel bad for Brooklyn fans in that regard. But you're right. I mean, if he would have been added to this series, uh, the number one deficient point for the Celtics or uh, for the Nets was the Celtics' attack. Close to the basket, you look at Grant Williams and Al Horford leading the team in offensive rating in the series. 146 for Horford, 152 offensive rating for Grant Williams. You can't allow Grant Williams to go off on you like that. This That's is just, 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 just a terrible defensive team. Like It's just a terrible defensive team at the end of the day. And it was without their uh, DPOY candidate. The guy who didn't win was still on the list. Robert Williams came back, only played two games in the series. So that's, that's to me, where I look. Ben Simmons would have came in and done wonders for the team. He, he it's can't. just wild when you look at a playoff series and you think, like, the combination of KD and Kyrie, at the end of the day, just was not enough to get it done. Like, I think that's just kind of wild. Well, I think the most understated part of this whole thing is everyone is doing the whole, oh, look at KD at 33 compared to LeBron at 33. I have a couple of problems with that's that. ridiculous. No one argued that KD was better than LeBron all time. I've never heard people actually articulate that. You should, I mean, like, you shouldn't. That's not an argument huge, that I'll, huge, I'll stick around for. Often. It's like yeah. an absurd thing. Yeah. And also, KD's coming off an Achilles tear. Like, he's 33. He's coming off an Achilles, Achilles tear. He had an MCL sprain during the season. And he's playing arguably the best defense in the NBA. Him struggling is is as much of it as, oh, KD didn't show up, is Boston defense great? Oh, it's also a 33-year-old coming off the most severe injury you can have in basketball Mm -hmm. and a different minor MCL injury earlier this year. So I think that can't be really forgotten about. The Kyrie stuff is just, no one should pay him money. (laughs) Because he he was so horrible this series. Like, Durant actually, like, tried – Kyrie was just kind of uh, just you like they were there without a game plan. That's what it looks yeah, like when you're there without a game plan. You're there literally just hooping, hoping you beat and the I've best got, of the team. I've got to defend Sixers fans about Ben Simmons because when we deluded ourselves about him, he was actually playing basketball. Yeah, that's true. We turned on him when he stopped playing basketball. Mm. The Nets fans were talking him up when he was just sitting on the bench. And Saying he's walking saying, around like Jordan is. Looking like a clown. It, oh, my. Oh. It was hilarious. Oh, was my sad. goodness. And then retrospect, was, like an all-time joke. What we've learned about the Nets, and now that they're fully swept, fully out of contention of this year's NBA season, is 
you get a chance to really look back and reflect and you can really do the nets in the last two years when the, you know, the change of the franchise, they bring in these guys. But when you think about it, and this is something that I've been thinking about with the nets, they never felt like a team. Yeah. This no. was never, we talked about months ago, how, when they traded Harden, their big three with Harden only played less than 15 games together. Kyrie could only play home games or only play away games. KD was getting hurt. Sometimes Harding was missing games. Sometimes they were never on the court together. Sometimes, most of the time, really, you didn't have two of them together, right? Mm -hmm. Add on top of it, you bring in a head coach who's never coached in the league before, right? You trade at the deadline this year for a guy who's not only not going to play basketball, but for other guys that just change what this team's going to look like on the court, who now you need to adjust even more to. So for me with the Nets, it's like, do they need another guy? Probably, yeah, but they need to be a team. Look on the other side of the ball. A team that did it the right way, quote-unquote, who drafted these players, who's really had the same core, even went out to bring their core back. No, let's bring Al Horford back. Let's bring Daniel Tice back. And it's a sweep, a convincing sweep. So that's the real takeaway for me with the Nets going forward and looking back really is this was never a team. It never yeah. felt like a team. It never looked like a team. Even when they went on win streaks here and there, it was like, okay, their best player is hot. The team wasn't hot, right? Like Bruce Brown wasn't giving you 25, and I don't think he's a long-term piece. I don't think a lot of guys on this team aren't a long-term piece. So on their sense, they need to work on that. And on the Celtics' sense, this is a congratulations. I mean, when, they deserve when, this, when, and they're going to look good. When the playoffs. Celtics and Nuts made the infamous trade for Garnett and Pierce and all the picks, which resulted in Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, et cetera, the core of this Celtics team, Everyone laughs at that as such a failure for the Nets because all they did was make the second round once. That's exactly what they did this time. And we're, whatever, whether the Rockets do with their picks, what, what's possible, like they have nothing for the future. The amount of picks they gave up to get Harden is astronomical. And they're fortunate that Kyrie and Durant came in free agency, mm -hmm. but it's just as much of a failure as the – Garnett Pierce trade. Yeah, I mean, you got you got to look at this season as a failure for them. And I like what you said that you know going back to the KD point that that's a 33 year old coming off an Achilles, and this is a guy who who didn't imagine he was going to have to shoulder this much of a workload. This is why I teamed up with at first Kyrie Irving and James Harden. This wasn't all supposed to fall on me and my bum Achilles coming back as a 33 year old young. Your young bucks were supposed to take this, and I'm supposed to really show the legwork just in the playoffs. But KD was the only model of consistency for this Nets team all season. He was the only dude who would show up willingly and hoop of the stars. Kyrie could only do it half the time, and James Harden didn't want to do it because Kyrie could only do it half the time. So for him to 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 shoulder all of that and to be the one of the only focal points that Boston as a team has to key into to go to a playoff series is, is just too wild. That's why I say they, they needed somebody. Whether it was not trading away James Harden and figuring out with him or whether it was Ben Simmons actually coming to play basketball, it just it seemed like it was too much for, for Katie at the end of the day. It's back to the drawing board. For, I mean, you're bringing Katie and Kyrie back, right? Mm -hmm. Still massive potential for this team. Ben Simmons is on the roster. The team just needs to look completely different. But let's talk about the Celtics now. Yeah, go ahead. On the other side of the ball. 4-0 sweep against what people thought was going to be the most compelling, the most – I mean, you said it at the top, like should have been a really interesting series. Didn't the end best up seven seed one. in NBA history. Yeah. <laughs> and now looking forward in the Eastern Conference, I know we are talking earlier in the show and you'll get into it, a lot of people are thinking, like you're thinking, Jake, that they're the favorites to win in the East now. Yeah. I Celtics mean, that, that regular season defense wow. – that we knew was going to be good in the playoffs, didn't know how good, didn't know if they'd still be the best defense in the league. Oh, they are. 
By I mean, far. Yeah, Tatum has now taken another step. Now the conversation with Tatum used to be, is he a top 15, like maybe a top 10 guy? Like, I might say Jason Tatum is stamped as a top 10 player in the league now. And with the pieces and the defense around him and just a bunch of good players and a bunch of guys that play well together, this Celtics team really is like championship in the view in my eyes right yeah, now. This is, I think you could actually make the case, this is their best chance at a championship out of like the whole Tatum Easily. and Brown era. And they've had some good teams, even even a little before Tatum and Brown came into their own. You know, they had those Isaiah Thomas-led teams. Mm. Uh, Terry well. Rozier-led team. Yeah, Terry Rozier-participated team. Terry Rozier got if, further than Kyrie Irving if, did on if the If Isaiah Thomas-led a team, Terry Rozier-led a team. All right. <laughs> Regardless, I think they do have a great shot. And what was most impressive, obviously, like there was – Coming into the series, I think maybe maybe it wasn't at the front of your mind, but there was a, a market advantage in the front court for them. What I'm impressed with is what they did with Kevin Durant. You said the Nets need someone. They would have been okay if Kevin Durant was himself. This was the third worst series in Kevin Durant's entire career if you look at field goal percentage. Uh, he shot 38.6% from the field in this series. The only other two times that he was below that was his first career ever playoff series in 2010. Against the Lakers, they lost 4-2. He shot 35%. And then 2016 round one against the Mavs, they won that series 4-1. So both times, he's a rookie, and then they win in, in five games. So it's that not Mavericks like, series is because one game he shot 7 of 33. Right. <laughs> and and ultimately, like those two losses, they don't really fall on Kevin Durant. Well, one of them wasn't a loss. It was that one loss, he's a rookie. This one is completely, in my opinion, squarely on... Uh, just quickly touching on the Nets, like what Kevin Durant couldn't do and looking forward for the Celtics, what they did to cause that. Yeah. Um, because you're having another seven-footer come to town. Uh, I mean, most likely. I don't Nothing's Nothing's set in stone. They play the fifth game tonight. We don't know what happens. Um, but most likely they've got another seven-footer they're going to have to uh, tangle with. And they, they showed pretty well in this series. So I, if you're a Celtics fan, go ahead and rip up Carl, you said it. Championship level, it, it, I think it's undeniable now for, for two reasons. One, of the defensive aspect. For two, what, what I've learned from the series is Jason Tatum is like that. Go ahead and stamp him in top ten because yeah, he's, he's is, he is like that. He has molded his game into a consistent, like, superstar game in and game out. And now it's more than just scoring. Now that the facilitating and the two-way aspect of his game, he commits to the defensive end. But now the assist number is going up. The, the career average in assist is, what, three per game. Now in the playoffs in this series, 7.3 assists per game. So his willing, his willingness to get the other team involved and his scoring not going down. 29 points, like everything going up as well. Like he's really like that. He's really taking it to the next level. Yeah, and, and actually what's impressed me the most um, is Jason Tatum on the defensive side of the ball this year. Because, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, definitely some praise to get for being consistent for what we know you could do. That's the offensive side of the ball, which is doing very well. But really, if you look back, the game plan in the playoffs against the Celtics team, maybe not as much last year. Really last year, too. But when Tatum's been in the playoffs, is like they're going to pick on him. Mm-hmm. You can't really pick on him this mm-hmm. year. And I, I mean, that's maybe the whole defense as a whole is flowing together. Maybe it's not much individually, but he's still playing a massive role on that defense, which has surprised me, really. I, I think I just want to draw parallels to because it is incredible. 7.3 assists per game is like you're controlling the flow of yep, the game. Yep, He's yep, not crazy. a guard, yep. but that does that. that is like high level. It's crazy how they're, yeah. they're operating really without a true point because Marcus Smart isn't a true point guard. They're operating in that offense. And that is why they have the best chance because there isn't one hub that all the offense starts with. 
um, like some other teams, and like especially that. when that player isn't your best player. Those other iterations, IT, Kyrie, oh, Kyrie is probably your best player. But when you have a score first guard, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think that it has been working for them with with Tatum and Brown. You look across to Utah. I bet if they let Donovan Mitchell handle the ball and become a point guard over you know, an entire season, they'd be better off in the, and, in the and playoffs. That, and that pattern works. They've had more success with IT and Terry Rozier at point guards than they have with Kemba and Kyrie right. with, that, with the scoring yeah. first point guards. When it comes to is it their best shot to win a chip in the last five years, I think definitely, and I think it's because of the competition we'll have to face. Because the IT and Terry Rozier years where they ran into LeBron with the Cavs, no shot. There was a year in the, bu- the bubble year they lost in six to the Heat. They would have had to play a really good Lakers team in the finals. They would have been pretty big underdogs. The last 10 years of NBA basketball has been defined by LeBron and the Warriors. LeBron's gone, and the Warriors were not 100% sure they're back. They're back, but they're, they're in the they're West. Here. They're yeah, here. They're in the West. Well, I'm like, they're, 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 they're all. I'm not going to sleep in the Warriors. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a real chance that they are, but. I need to see more than just one really good first-round series is what they've had so I, far. I, so, because of the competition around them, this is their golden opportunity to finally crack sure. through, not only to make the finals, but to win it potentially. For and sure. I hate it. We'll see. They are the, they're the first team to, to clinch it and move on, so they await their opponent. And you guys hope that is the Sixers. We're going to move on to the Sixers and Raptors series. Before we move on, Go ahead. last Celtics thing. Robert Williams still really hasn't played in the playoffs. That's what I'm saying. And yeah, he yeah. is a huge piece Donald of that team. Rough, the ringer, the ringer. That's going to be crazy. But we'll, we got to move on to the Sixers and Raptors series because, like this, the first thing you've had to have, to have written this, the first thing he says that we've learned from the Sixers-Raptors series, existence is pain for both Embiid and for Sixers fans themselves. So, How'd you know it was me? Yeah. Is it the existential dread? Yeah, yeah, pain. The, the Will Smith look on your face of just – uh, uh, I wish um, I had someone to smack after those <laughs> past two games. Let me tell you that. Just pay. Take it away, man. It's just Well, where it, where it all comes down to, where it's came down to for the past eight to ten years, uh, that's an exaggeration. I think eight is actually the number. Start Stops and starts with Joel Embiid for this team. He goes as the team goes. And, you know, it was announced that he obviously tore a ligament in his thumb, is going to play through it. But there's been a huge difference uh, in the Embiid that we got in the first three games and the Embiid that we've been getting these past two games. Games one through three, he goes 27.7 points, 13 rebounds, two assists on 51% field goal percentage, uh, 11.3 free throws attempted per game. That's the big one. Games four through five, after the injuries announced, 20.5 points, 9.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists. Still very good numbers. 45% field goal percentage, and drops to 7.5 uh, free throws attempted. And he's also 0 for 5 from 3 in those two games. They don't need him. Like, that should be – if Harden is Harden, that should be good enough. Sustainable, right. That should be sustainable. But as I'm sure that these two guys want to tell uh, talk to you guys about, he has not been the James Harden that we've made our stat mat deep dive about. Well, th- those numbers point to – the, the being less aggressive, getting less free throw attempts, and not having to touch from three. I mean, that that is directly related to like a, a shooting, a Don't sh- physical, it, yeah, an injury in your shooting hand. Um, but I mean, it's it's just for for the past what two three years now, we've seen Joel and B go and try to be the the shoulder load of the offense for the Sixers in the playoffs, and each time it it 
through the combination of players that have been next to him, it's been not working, and we're seeing it not work again. And like, I, I just think he's he's there's there's got to be something else there. There's got to be something else that comes in and helps Joel Embiid. He can't have to do it all on his own. So with when you look back at the Simmons Harden trade, what happened was we traded a Maserati that won't start for a Maserati with a hundred eighty thousand miles on it. <laughs> <laughs> so. I really think this is just evidence that Harden's just – he's washed. Like, he still is, like, a really good passer. He's got a great IQ. But his his field goal percentage is not just, oh, Harden playoff chokes. It's been bad since the first three games with us. It's He's not any worse than he was the last 20 games he played with us. He's just a guy who can't make shots, and he can't make shots because he doesn't have the burst that he had in the past, meaning that defenders can guard him closer – because there's no fear of him blowing by him, meaning he gets less separation on his stepbacks. And that's the biggest reason why we're losing the combination of Embiid, or not losing, we're in panic mode. Uh, is that, because, that's crazy that that's yeah. where your mind is, though. That, yeah. that, that, that you're, the series is, you're losing yeah, the series. Yeah. Uh, that Embiid is not 100% and Harden isn't good enough to carry anymore. And the other thing is, if you look at what actually the best Sixers lineup was in the regular season... It was – it's not that surprising. It's it's the starting five. It's Harden, Maxi, Thibel, Harris, and Embiid. And you can't play Thibel in Toronto. And when Thibel comes back, game five, he's out of playoff rhythm because he's a moron and can't <laughs> play in Toronto. And he, air, he has the worst offensive game. And he's a bad offensive player. I've still never seen him play a worse offense. I mean, you guys cheered when he got. Then he played the cheering. He called a layup. Yeah, but the but the cheering as he gets subbed out is that that's that's how you demoralize a player. But I I I never thought Thibault was a good offense. No, but you didn't. No, but that was bad. You need more than that. We thought he was bad. I think no, no, no. He was always there's there's one thing. It's like eating like drinking really expired milk is Thibault on normally. This was like drinking cyanide. Like, it kills you immediately. Yeah, but, <laughs> but the only thing I want to say about that is that, like, Thibault we know can't shoot. We know he's a good athlete. He'll, you know, get little backdoor cuts. That'll, that's all he's going to give you on offense, and maybe he'll hit an open three. But he didn't hurt. But he super, I was going to say, but he was hurt. Super successful, he, literally just because they needed more defense. Right, but he was hurting the offense. Like, he, he hasn't hurt. He hasn't helped the offense, but he hasn't hurt the offense. Game five, he was hurting so, yeah, the offense. Sure. But I, but I do feel – where you're going with a lot of this, I feel like you're about to pull the reins on a lot of panic that the Sixers fans have. I'm saying that's my number two. No, that's not you. You like, are panicking. I'm talking about yeah. Kyle wants to pull the reins. I you mean, are definitely panicking. I mean, I, th- I think the Sixers, obviously, you still have the game buffer. You can drop one in Toronto. Maybe you're even expected to. And you can come back home. But it's panic. <sighs> no. I mean, if, if, you, if you lose, you, yeah, it's 60-40 right now. If you lose game six, if you lose game six in Toronto, if you're the Sixers, you are the definition of dead in the water. In Game Seven, like you come back home with no confidence. Historically, that's not the case. I'm more just saying. I'm more just saying. The three teams have come back from three out of four Game Seven. In 1951, Knicks, no one cared. 1994, Nuggets, uh, fourth Game Seven against the Jazz, who are known for choking in the playoffs, and then the 03 Blazers did it against the Mavericks, and the Mavericks actually trailing in the fourth. Here's a problem. How many of their MVPs were injured with a torn ligament in their thumb? 
and Odurk got hurt later that series. All I'm saying and then is later that playoff. It's, it is great. a different story when you're not getting a Joel Embiid that is scoring near 30 points a game and shooting at a higher clip than 50. percent Like if he can't, and, and the tandem, the flip side, when we look at Toronto. When he isn't doing that, what we've seen is an explosion from Pascal Siakam. Yeah, he has been the one pulling, you know, the the pulling the most weight, so to speak, for Toronto. I think he's fifty four points over the last two games. Um, and what's really indicative of, of Embiid's kind of sluggishness is Siakam. I think had four personal fouls, four personal fouls, five personal fouls, down to uh, two per game over the last two. I think he has four over the last two games, so averaging two per game fouls now. You have to be more aggressive with him. You have to make him work on the other end. And they haven't been doing so. So if they can fix those things uh, tomorrow night, then maybe the Sixers will win this. But I feel terrible. Well, terrible. I do I do want to go to <laughs> terrible. I do want to go to the Raptors side of things. I think there's something I would to be like said. to say anything about the Sixers real quick. You Just, go ahead. Go I ahead. want to talk about the Sixers. Go ahead. Of course. The we'll point go. I was going to make was that literally, like, it's not full panic. Like, we're still probably expected to win this series. But I was, all I was going to say is like 60-40. It's still really bad and a lot different than it looked after we were up 3-0. The Sixers' issues aren't James Harden right now, though. It, it's not the NBA thumb injury. We take care of this Raptors team if we play any sort of defense. That like And long-term, yes. Going forward, if we want to have any shot of even making the NBA Finals, then yeah, it is Harden. And it is the NBA. I'm worried about the Raptors right now. And we're not playing defense. Chris Boucher is getting third passes uh, in the paint and just getting easy layups. Pascal Kiyakim getting whatever he wants, yeah. getting to the hole. We're not defending the paint. We're well, not defending the perimeter. And, and whose responsibility and was, is it to defend the and paint? And this was the one thing that you could rely on with the Sixers, really, that we knew we probably, like, we could have off-night shooting. Like, we, we were bad shooters, right? That's happened. We, we knew Harden might be a little sluggish coming into the playoffs. We didn't know we were going to play bad defense. And this game, this series should have been a wrap if we played any defense in game five. I shot 67% from two in game five. Every point was in the paint. It, and they're making good passes, but I there shouldn't be second or third passes to Boucher on a cut. They I think there's it. a correlation. Like, yes, Embiid, Embiid doesn't guard all five. Like, right, right. But, but he is the patrol of the paint. If he's not providing that position. One and two, two, just not as much. Now they're getting it every single well, possession. I've never, I've never seen Embiid look as unengaged on defense as he was right. in game five. So, but it's a team thing. That's what I'm uh, but here, what, John Embiid being a like a tone setter, yeah, candidate, when he can't be physical and you can't just say, okay, we're going to filter that penetration off to Joel and be cool, then you have to help from the weak side. And that's where you're getting your Chris Boucher's wide open for three, just standing there. That and, and a little bit of discombobulation, throw that in there as well. Not even three. What makes me mad is how a 6'11 guy can get a backdoor cut. That's, I've seen Chris Boucher just walk in and get the easiest well, you know what? layup it's because It's because the guy driving the ship, isn't awake sometimes. That being Doc Rivers, he do he do be sleeping. to play a zone and make like without our like without our good defenders in. Yeah, like Shake Milton was like a big <laughs> and when like I was our. If you're gonna panic and play zone, I'm fine with panicking to throw something off because your defense isn't working. At least put like your good defense. Like he was punishing Thibel for playing horrible offensively, but like you got if you're gonna do something zany like a zone, you got to put Thibel in. And Doc is. Slow. Yeah. Hey. Hey. We. we we've, we've learned anything over the past. You know, two playoffs. Top fifteen coach all time. <laughs> is that Doc's adjustment in the playoffs? Shaky baby. But the Raptors. Like there is something to be said for the Raptors side of things. This is a, a a team that caught fire towards the end of the regular season, got their way to the fifth seed, and of showing that due to their their depth and their length, this is a team that's playing 
like a, a four forward lineup against y'all and it's working. And I think due to that, they're showing that they, they can really like hang with any team in the NBA for, you know, a game or two. It really can. hundred percent. I mean, guys that have been there, albeit bench pieces in the Kawhi year, but they still have that experience, a great coach and Nick nurse coach of the year. Um, and just players that are stepping up in these big moments, they, they're playing like they want to win and really want to win. There's a lot of teams that go down 3-0, and it's deflating. And even if you pull off that game at home, game four, you're still a little deflated. I've seen Pascal Siakam really elevate his game from loss after loss, and now they're turning into wins. I've seen Onji Ananobi apparently become one of the best three-point shooters in the league. Which is crazy, that, but that's classic Sixers but, playoff. But still, a lot of props to him because these aren't even just open threes; these are good shots, and he's also making the open ones. And we've seen Gary Trent battle back from an illness that didn't keep him out seven games in a series, like the last Philly Toronto mm-hmm. series went when someone had a little illness. Gary Trent came back and literally one half he took off, came back, and so now he's playing great again. And, they, and they've won so, the I mean, combination of these games without crazy. one without Scotty Barnes, one without Fred Van Vliet, doing it without two of their best players. Like it's, it's it makes nuts. you it really is an eyebrow razor when, you know, you see Scotty Barnes come back to the lineup and now you're like, oh, wait a minute. They got Ananobi. They've got Siakam. They've got uh, Barnes now back. They have resurrected the corpse of Thaddeus Young that they found somewhere. He's playing big minutes. Crazy. Uh, you have Ken Birch playing minutes. You have Precious Chu and Chris Boucher. So, like, really, you look at that team. They've got four guys who are solidified starters in your run-of-the-mill 40-minute-a-game guys, Siakam, Barnes, Ananobi, Trent. And then they'll rotate in at about like ten to twenty. To oh, when Van Vliet's not hurt either. I mean, right. add him to that list. Well, Van Vliet would be there, right? He'd be their fifth certified starter. Without him, they use Ken Birch, they use Preston Shua, Chris Boucher, and Young, as we mentioned, to really overwhelm the Sixers. That's been a great adjustment on Nurse's behalf of kind of, unlo- especially yeah. with the lack of um, aggressiveness out of Embiid, like we talked about. What a great adjustment, and the lack of Nurse. shooting. These yeah. these aren't guards that can defend the perimeter. I mean. RG Ananobi's not a bad perimeter defender, but outside of Gary Trent, they don't have perimeter defenders. The Sixers just can't shoot. Right. So just that that was another testament to that adjustment. They say it's a make or miss league, right? You make shots, a, a lot of these bugaboos go away. I've also noticed Toronto turn up the aggression as they notice the Sixers turn down their aggression. Like I I don't think there's a I think there's a, a correlation of of point possessions and, and point scoring going up as you realize that their biggest paint defender isn't going to be as aggressive with that thumb. Go right at him. Let's see how much he can do with it. And once they see that he can't, just continue to go to that, go to that, go to that. You know, especially when you don't have a Fred Van Vliet, you don't have one of your guards. We got to start moving from the inside more. They're turning that up. And let's just see if y'all can y'all can defend it in a game six. Like We were talking about this off camera. And, and I know it seems really bad for all Sixers fans out there. I know it seems really bad. You're starting at the panic button now. If you win game six in Toronto, you look back next series, however long in the future, and you look back and say, hey, we won a six-game series in a 4-5 matchup. At the end of the day, that is normal. Like, yes, it, it didn't look pretty. Yes, we, it got a little scary at the end. But this is a team who won a championship not three years ago, and this core was still part of that championship. That coach is still part of that championship. They don't have Lowry but they're, but they're not going to. But they have, like, the third but they have a But they have a championship run. DNA. They and. and Pascal Siakam was on that team. So they have it. They have a championship DNA. So to think they're going to roll over and just get swept to me was unrealistic, especially yeah. when it's not a two, seven, one, eight match. It's a four, five. At the end of the day, you guys are separated by a handful of games. So like, at, I think at the end of the day, you look back, if you win this game six, you look back and be like, Hey, we won. We want a normal, a normal series. It's yeah. this, 
It's, un, it's not unfathomable you, that it goes six games. It, it's not the the overarching. You are correct in most scenarios, but what's unique and specific to this one is that the Sixers, to a certain extent, have to know they're dead in the water without Embiid. Ah, uh, you got you, without Embiid scoring. Well, yeah, 30, well, yeah, like but, you can't win the championship. You have to know but that. But you literally and if you can't that, look at it that way. I you know, need to I, look at it exactly like Jake, Jake, Jake does. Yeah. Well, what 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 you're saying as players? Or James or as, does. Yeah, right. Literally, you look at it as like you win this game clean slate. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah, yeah, we That's move on. Yeah, yeah we move on. Uh, you can't be in next series thinking about like, oh, but we almost lost it. Yeah. But you won. In six games, move on. That's why I fully agree with him. I see what you're saying, but it's not that way. No, I hear you. Uh, before, do you have any other points before we I, – I hit a crackpot conspiracy. I wanted – <laughs> uh, No, you could go, but then I want to get a whole vibe check from everyone after that on what we think the outcome is going to be. All right, I'll do, I'll do a one, one to ten chances of it being legitimate what Stephen A. had cooked up on first take. Uh, James Harden is playing poorly – wait for it – on purpose okay. to get rid of yeah. Doc Rivers – so that Mike D'Antoni can replace him. That's like the ultimate like conspiracy NBA Mad Lib that we just did. Chances one to ten that it's actually a thing that James Harden would do, is doing, can do. Now, 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 was this because he's talking people close to the, no, close I think to the James? Is a, just straight out of his I mind. I think this is a Stephen A. This is what I think. I don't have any sources. No, three, no, I three can't. out of ten. Three out of ten. Yeah, I was Harden, for, his Harden wants D'Antoni. He's not playing bad on purpose. Yeah, three out of ten. Yeah, Harden wants D'Antoni that bad. He, no, but he's not. Harden, Harden would prefer D'Antoni, but like he's not. But I don't think Harden, like Harden's game isn't like if he was still playing the game that Mike D'Antoni fostered, the the bank it for twenty seconds at a shot clock and then pass or shoot. Then yeah, but he's he's not he's not in that type mode. We saw it just a year ago though. He's definitely yes. Here's how you. It's a three out of ten. Though. This is this is how you determine it, and it's like a lie detector test, except the line is Harden's BMI. And as he begins to loaf it more, it just hikes up and up. That's um, his level. His body mass goes up with his, his level body of fat percentage. That's how you you can. That's, that's his, his level of discontent. Test. He's too yeah. he's too late in his career to give up a guy that's never won a championship to give up a playoff series. He's too late in his career for that to be true. Yeah, no. But quick vibe check. We've talked about. I mean, you can hear the vibes really that we are. I'm a soulless a husk, panic, but I want to know <laughs> what. What's the outcome in this series uh, when we look Yo. five days from now? They might win, and it just doesn't change the fact that I'm empty. Like, I would, like, I I would, why, I are so why are you so empty? Why are you so empty? No, no, I get it. Because when after Embiid hits the game winner, you think, oh, it's playoff magic. We can win the title. And then the last two games are like, oh, uh, we might not just uh, – we're not good enough to win the title, and we might have the most embarrassing loss in NBA history. It's that high to love. It's not stuff. even the embarrassment factor. It's more of like the psychological, like imagine you have a bad dream over and over again, right? And it's the same thing that happens every time. And then one time you go past where you've never seen this part of the dream before. Oh my God, the cycle's broken. Oh, we're not in the bad dream. And then you wake up at the beginning of the bad dream again <laughs> and realize it was a bad dream. That's what it's like being a Sixers fan. And every single year there is something. Every year there is something. It doesn't matter. It will be the smallest enough just to push it over the threshold of like, yeah, you guys aren't going anywhere this year. And be thumb injury. You have the Fultz mishaps. You have Ben Simmons being out. You have Ben Simmons 
not dunking, not shooting. Yeah, like, the it's physics always, going wonky in Toronto. It's yeah, always that's the only one out here. Something that was the only time but we had a championship team. The Toronto year. I don't want to be a crybaby. We'll be back at him next year. I want to. We'll hear, be back at him next year. Like you don't have I a closeout opportunity and not two yes, hours from now. Thank you. I'm with you, dude. <laughs> I want to hear what like my vibe check that I want to hear from everyone is what is the outcome of this series. When we look five days from now, how did this series play oh, out? Oh, so you're saying. And I want to know what you guys think happened. You guys won in seven. Okay. I, they, they do they do win in Toronto games. So I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to answer your question completely. I'm sorry. So we're going we're gonna to win game six, and then we're going to get embarrassed by the Heat and lose in five. That answered my question. That's, that's, cool. that's the exact Losing question. Losing like, lose in seven. They're losing wow. in seven. Damn. And I think, you know what? I think Prepare game six yourself will, for the pain is smart. Game six will be... Tough. I think game six, they will show up and they will fight. Um, and coin flip, obviously, if you win, you win there. But, like, yeah. I just think you're going to get – they're obviously going to give it their absolute um, all as far as emotions go, thinking that they can win. And then when you lose, if you lose in Toronto – I do think the urgency think, is to avoid a game seven. I, think, I don't think they want to fall back on game seven at home. Yeah, I think we win game six. I, I'm not too hopeful for this team going forward like I was going into the playoffs. I think we win a game six. Embiid's not going to let it happen. He's been in a different mode. All year, you can talk about the hand. Maybe he doesn't make as many three pointers anymore. He's not going to let them lose. This I think game. you. I think you win Game Seven. And how about this? I got a strange feeling that like the fans will like. You're not going like the, the fans won't let them lose Game Seven. You're not going to embarrass us like I'm that. I'm a spot up. In yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. We, like, like you will. The fans will just will a win in Game Seven. Not happy. You will send you to your room afterwards, but you're no, not going to embarrass no, us. The, the Philadelphia fans of Game Seven are going to be panicking. The, Toronto go up two zero, and we'll be like. Hey. Shrieks of horror! Yeah, for sure. Play. How about one of the forty million dollar men on the roster inspire uh, a win? And maybe we don't have to rely on the fans. We're going down a rabbit hole. We shall move to my series. Take the heat off y'all a little bit. Suns Pelicans will wrap up a series that also is a little bit closer than a lot of people anticipated, but because of the injury to Devin Booker. So the first thing that we learned in this series, and remember when I said at the top of the segment, some of the things we had to unlearn from the regular season. And I think everyone wanted to give Devin Booker this consolation MVP nod just because he's the best player on the best team in the NBA. And then he goes out in this series. And I think what we've learned is actually just how important Devin Booker is to this Suns team because it looked real drastic for a second when he went out. Um, it just seems like without Devin Booker, Chris Paul cannot have a bad game. Their game two lost, Devin Booker goes out. CP3 is 5 for 16 from the field. Um, game three, they win. Chris Paul has 28 and 14, 10 from 18 from the field. Game four loss. CP3 has just four points. Then the game five win on Tuesday night. Chris Paul goes for 22 and 11. Still didn't look that great. There were there were times where this little pest named Jose Alvarado is just in his jersey. He really is like oh, the next, bro. He, he's the Pat Bev 2.0. He, he is. Like he's the next coming. one. He's he's he's, he's the next one. Um, but th- no, th- it's it's. I think it got a little understated in a regular season how important Devin Booker was to the Suns. I said it two Kyle, weeks ago. Kyle, 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 Kyle wants his victory last. I said it two take, weeks take ago. Go ahead. This is your chance. Right, take the victory. The first segment was who's the most important player? Who's the most important player? There you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think the Suns are going to win this series. Their defense is too good. But, uh, yeah, he, I mean, he needs to score the ball for this team to have an NBA championship run. And when you catch a team, especially in the Western Conference, and a team that likes to run, and plays at one of the fastest paces in the league and can get hot with CJ McCollum and Brandon Mc- or Brandon Ingram, who can score, you need a guy like Devin Booker to match that, or the series might get tight like it just did. So, I mean, I think the Suns are fine long-term. 
So what we have learned about them is what I knew, what other people are starting to learn, but I still think they have, you know, a really elite defense. I still think now after last night, they've settled back down. Mm -hmm. It's not as scary anymore, not like the other 3-2 series we just talked about. Um, But I kind of want to say what we learned about the Pelicans real quick uh, for their future. This C.J. McCollum deal has worked out amazingly for them. The fit is better than I can have anticipated. If you look at just their roster now, I mean, C.J. McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Jonas Valanciunas, the guy we're really high on on this podcast. No, he is. I am as well. No, I am as well. I like like Jonas Valanciunas. (laughs) And a Zion, who who knows what his, like, there's questions about his future if it's in New Orleans or not. But say it is. I've learned a lot about this Pelicans team. I think they get bounced first round, but are kind of somewhat a team that can get dangerous less quickly. There's a chance that next year they're a top two seed. Yes. Because if, Zion, if, Zion come, if Zion comes back, if Zion comes that, back, it springs this team. I don't know about top two, with, but I but I like that they this team has a high no, ceiling. That's the best. Case yeah, yeah, scenario. I'm not oh, predicting. Yeah, that. yeah this team that's has a has a high ceiling. Like, I like Willie Green as a coach. I yeah. love Willie yeah. Green as a coach. Yeah. Since the All Star break with CJ McCollum, just put the facts out there: thirteen and seven. McCollum has averaged twenty four points a game. Four it was at four rebounds, six assists on fifty eight percent true shooting from the field. A career best. Um, true shooting percentage at that for C.J. McCollum. So not only McCollum making the Pelicans better, it seems that McCollum going into a fit where he's the number one guy has blossomed this game. And I think that McCollum is, he's like too mature. He's too mature of a game and too mature of an NBA player to be the the, the number two, the second fiddle. That's a Lehigh educated brother there, by the way. So I think he's just a little bit too educated of a basketball like he player. He's kind of a number two though behind Ingram. I, but n- they're, I guess they're in skill- a 1A, 1B. I guess in skill wise, I feel like it's a one A one. But in leader, yeah. undoubtedly, CJ McCollum is the leader of that team, and he he wasn't in the Trailblazers, and you can see it in his demeanor. He's the tone setter when they when they go on the court, and I think it's helped them. Yeah, that's kind of my point. He him being in Portland has made him fine with. He's not going to be upset if Brandon Ingram hmm. shoots twenty nine shots and scores right. thirty points because he played with Lillard and is fine with taking a step back when another player is hot, and he knows that role of going to the hot hand so well and it's just the veteran that the pelicans that fits them perfectly for now and for the future i think the the pelicans had such a a young core and a promising core you got rid of drew holiday who was that elderly you know that veteran statesman that guy who kind of had that leadership um and then there, there's nobody there. And now your best player is a, as a, a second, third-year guy who has trouble staying on the court. Where was that leadership coming from? You get it from now Willie Green and CJ McCollum. And now, look, just like Chris Paul is able to do, you get leadership with a bunch of young guys who can hoop, and you scare some people in the playoffs. You really do. So James just admitted he's scared. That's number one. He was trying to say he wasn't worried. Uh, when did I say I wasn't worried? I said, I, said, I, said, I, said, we are, I said we are 3-2 in a, in a much different way. Anyways, I'd be foolish right about we it. We just Anyways, tied two days ago. I, I know Zion Williamson has made it clear he wants some sort of out. He wants to be traded. He wants them to overhaul or wanted them to overhaul the team. He wasn't happy with what was going on in New Orleans. Zion Williamson should wake up and, and, be, change the heart. Yeah. and be thankful he's in New Orleans. Because if he tried to pull this in New York, in Philadelphia, in Boston, in L.A., in a sports market that actually cared, he would be roasted alive. If this team was fighting for their life in the playoffs and there's not a darn thing wrong with him sitting on the sidelines, he's the perfect puzzle piece to slide in and make them, like Matt said, a potential top seed. It is despicable. You think it's him? You you think it's him? I don't think there's a darn thing. I think he's probably out of shape and you couldn't play him at this point. But like, 
if he's rehabbing and if he's getting ready and if he's staying ready, like there's no reason he shouldn't be playing. I think I think it's part of the Pelicans trying to trying to protect him and not you know not have him get hurt for future I years. I don't think he's ready. No, no, no. I, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I Could he hit an NBA court and play and not get injured? At this point, yes. Could he go and right. be Zion and nah, not get injured? No. And I, and I think oh, that's what they want. He he's saying like him posting those videos is like I can play. But the Pelicans are like, I want you to go and be Zion. If you try to go and be Zion, you're going to get hurt again. I, I actually think it's the opposite. I think he could play, but his body's not in good enough shape that he could sustain his health for a long period right. of time. So I think the Pelicans want him to get in good enough shape that he can play without getting hurt. Right. right. Was but right. He was healthy, but he his body not being in good enough shape is also the was healthy. Him not being able to no, but I think yeah, like exactly. if he played tomorrow, is there a shot? He puts up like 35 and 20. No. No. Yes. No. No. Not, not, no. I wouldn't predict Thirty-five it, and twenty, Matt. Okay. 15, <laughs> Thirty-five and fifteen. Which? No, I don't think so. I don't think there is. Uh, but that does bring me to. It brings up Aiton. Man might have might have saw something tumbling down the street and picked it up, and he said, oh, "What's this? A uh, bag? Two handles? A bag? Stuff <laughs> he's got a little. I'm watching without Devin Booker, and he's hitting these little foot like turnarounds. I'm like, whoa, where did that come yeah. from? That he he has been. Um, a definitely an improved player when Booker's not on the court offensively. And it, sometimes you get little blessings in disguise. And we got a report from Woj. Jake showed me not a little, not too long ago that Devin Booker is eyeing a return sooner than people have anticipated this series. This series. So you come back, you get Devin Booker, maybe even before the series is over. Um, and now everything's good. Everyone's back. Everyone's healthy. But you've shown Mikel Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson campaign. You've shown them where they can step up when Devin Booker goes off the floor. And I think that's invaluable and something that is is hard to emulate, something that's hard to do until it happens. You never want it to happen. But now I know where Devin Booker's gaps lie and where Mikel Bridges can fill those in, where DeAndre Ayton can fill those in for a long-term and sustainable playoff run. I think that, that they found that a little bit, especially in that Game 5 win because Devin Booker's out. Chris Paul goes on a lapse where he's not as productive. Jay Crowder hasn't been giving in the the series that we thought and we hoped he could. But then you look at McCall Bridges with that career or playoff career high 31, DeAndre Ayton getting the best of Valanciunas all series. That's what I've learned is where those role players can really step up for the Suns and how much impact they can have. I think that's that's, that's exactly inv- it. invaluable going yeah. forward. And that's what Devin Booker being out has shown us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's uh, – we knew the Suns got better this year. Obviously made it to the finals last year, but ended up being the best team in the NBA. Yeah. And this has been – this series with Booker being hurt has put that in the spotlight, right? And I know they've lost a couple now that he's been hurt, but seeing how these guys have progressed, Mikael Bridges and DeAndre Aiden couldn't do these and this stuff in the playoffs last year. DeAndre Aiden was getting picked on. No, he was getting cooked in the playoffs last year. And now we talk about his offense. His defense is massively improved, right? So I think the Suns as a whole are – maybe we didn't learn this because it's really happened over the entire season, but they're really solidifying everything that we thought this team would be going into the playoffs. And, I mean, if they get out of this – I mean, I don't think they lose to the Pelicans, but if they get out of this, they're still probably the most dangerous team in the West. I will cape up a little bit for Aiden challenger narrative because he did kind of shut down ad in the first round last year give him hats off for that yeah he shut down a hobbled ad coming off a of plane i mean i know ad is an easy dunk i know ad is an easy dunk on he i did get and then what happened well all right yeah <laughs> hey, then he against Jokic, right. and then hey, Jokic. all right well the zubach runs a little the, 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 but then he's asking you hey oh chase around Giannis. like 
That's not no, the, like he gets I didn't invoke Giannis's name. It's the Zubox one. The Zubox one's a little. That's the one that hurts hairy. me a lot. It's a little hairy. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that hurts me a lot. A All right, um, we got to move on. We got to do this last segment pretty quickly. We're run up against time here, but the NFL draft is coming up Thursday as we're recording Wednesday, so we don't have time to get up in the full scope of things. If you want that full scope of things, check out our YouTube channel where our guy Matt V has broken down a position group pretty much yep. with all of us Straight at this Facts point. Podcast on YouTube, you'll see our logo there. It's going crazy. Matt v did a great job. It's going crazy. He's going crazy. So we broke down all the position groups. So we'll we'll cover this from a little bit of a, a, a broader point of view. We got some some little player awards to give out for this year's draft based on players from previous drafts that we now can see what they've panned out into, into the NFL. So I like these. The first one we're going to do is the Jalen Rager Award. <laughs> or the J.J. Ortega-Whiteside Award. Whichever <laughs> one you want to J.J. Eagles Receiver Award. Player most likely to be taken way too early over a better player at their position. So, Jake, you want to go first? The player I will. Doubt- it's really a player you're kind of doubting a little bit. Uh, I don't see – I view this more as like almost like a – like it, it's more circumstance than it is who this player is. I yeah. still think this player could be a good player, but it's something that Kyle said in his cornerbacks video when debating number one, Derek Stingley Jr. in a lot of people's eyes versus Ahmad Gardner, uh, our guy Sauce, who the stat on him is zero touchdowns allowed, right? 1,100 pass attempts, zero touchdowns allowed. I don't care who he was playing. He could have been playing Temple. He could have been playing Temple. He was. He was. It doesn't matter. Those are are as close to pro athletes as you get without being pro. No, I hear you. And he didn't let up a touchdown against the other team's best receiver. So this is less about Derek Stingley and more to me about, like, I think Ahmad Gardner is going to be clearly – you can make a case for him. I like a couple of the other players. You can make a case he'll be the best defensive player in this entire draft. Um, and I think that Stingley will go early because of uh, – you asked Matt, Kyle, you asked him which teams are going to be after cornerbacks. The Giants have two picks in the top ten, and they are a team that could be after one. So I think mm-hmm. you'll see some movement. You'll see a guy go like Stingley who maybe might go a little earlier um, than he should. I think the Jets might take a corner at four. Well, An- another an another team. Just building some things. Kyle, who's going to go too early? Uh, for me, it's it's really on the same reasoning as Jake's. Um, mine's Aiden Hutchinson. Might end up being the number one overall pick in this year's draft. And while I think he's a top ten prospect, no doubt in my mind, I like two other edge guys. Better you like Thibodeau, him. yeah. You like Thibodeau. I like Kayvon and I like Trayvon Walker better. Mm-hmm. So I mean, to me, it's Georgia like, boy. is Aiden Hutchinson going to have a good NFL career? I would probably bet, yes, he's going to be a top 10 pick, and he fully deserves to be there. But is he going to be number one worthy when we looked back at this draft in five years and you see how stacked edge was as a position? And when you see that two, maybe even three other edge rushers went top 10, is he going to be the one of those handful of guys that I wanted to take at one if I was taking an edge rusher? No, to me, he's third. I mean, Thibodeau, to me, is by far – not by far. It's tough to say by far, but – like clearly in my eyes, the best at the position. And Trayvon Walker is a guy that a lot of people are falling in love with that I actually had to go up and look up tape of yesterday mm-hmm. when I was doing the video with Matt. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, whoa. And then and you realize, oh, he yeah. could be a stud too. The Kyle, the Kyle epiphany. Oh. <laughs> the, um, I, I'm going to push back because that's my Jalen Reger award. Go ahead. Trayvon Walker. Really? Mm. That's, a, that's a Georgia defensive lineman. I, 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 no, I no, tend no, not that, to doubt no, Georgia no. defensive lineman. I watch a lot of Georgia this year. He wasn't a top two player on that Georgia front seven. Doesn't mean you're not going to be a good NFL player. No, no, I'm not sure. But like Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean were like the the bedrocks of that Georgia defense. And when you have that, 
you're getting single teamed a lot more. True, true. Someone true. like Aiden Hutchinson, everyone on that offensive line is focused on double, triple team. Uh, that little focus on David Ojabu, too. He's a little focus yeah, on David Ojabu. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they just have a stacked team. team. It's just stacked. Yeah. yeah and the and I just I I just people love to talk themselves into people who have great tape without watching without remembering the college football season. And I'm not saying he's going to be Jalen Rager, even though I'm giving him the Jalen Rager award. Yeah, I'm just, honestly, none of these guys. I'm, well, here's, here's I'm the thing. Jalen Rager like, just got picked. We're not, not saying it's, like it's, it's going to be bad. It's the overthinking of it is the spirit of the award. Like Justin Jefferson is right there for Jalen Rager, but it's like, ooh, Jalen Rager. Blah, blah, blah. And with Trayvon Walker, he if you pick him at 11, great pick. You pick him at two, bad pick. Yeah. Uh, mine, mine kind of is, is like yours, Matt, where it's like the overthinking of it. Mine, like if we break this question down, most likely to be taken too early over a better player in their draft. I'm going to go Drake London out of USC because if he's, if, if anyone's going to get taken over Jamison Williams, it's going to be him. And I'm starting to really look back at this Jamison Williams tape and I'm like, what? I, I get, he, I get the, the knee injury. I, I, I completely understand, but I've watched. Other players come back, watch a, a, a teammate of his come back from a very similar injury. He looks fine. So, and I watched what this dude was before that knee injury. And I'm like, look, look at the, look at the skill. Look He's at the copy speed. paste on the Bama wide out. He got the wide out, Bama oh, wide out, uh, oh, kit. And, and Drake London is coming off, albeit a much less severe injury, but Still he's coming injury. off a foot injury himself. Yeah. So if we're going to, we're going to be worried about an injury. Why are we, why, like, look at, look at Jamison Williams, man. Like, like. Please. And receiver is probably when we talk about these things happening. Receiver is the position it happens at the most. I would say where a the guy overthinking, not an overthinking. Like you could look to a lot of guys around the league that get picked higher than they should over a guy who ultimately ends up being way better. Um, I mean, I can invoke names, but I'm not gonna not gonna bring up any hurt pieces for any any fans of franchises out there. Let's not. All right, we're going to move on to the next one. This one hurts me a little. It, I mean, it should hurt the Jaguars more, but he's my backup quarterback now. The Blaine, the Blaine Gabbard Award, um, and that's going to be the most overhyped yeah, QB in this draft. pick him number three. Yeah, that's true. Back that's back. true. Um, could be the, also the Jameis Winston Award, but I'm glad you guys didn't do or that. Or Mitch thing. Trubisky. Because, to be honest, the fact that this is an award is because it happens a lot. It, it happens a lot. You overhype a QB. Even in a, a draft that doesn't have a lot of QB talent, you overhype one because you want there to be a, a good QB right. so bad. So, Matt, I'll start to far in this time. Most overhyped QB in the draft. Malik Willis. Mm. That's tough because our guy Matt V has him going as the first quarterback off the draft board. He, or, 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 uh, Matt believed he was fifth. Fifth, fifth. Yeah. Quarterback was on the draft Matt's mock draft, he thinks Willis will probably be first, but Matt is actually he, low on him. He, 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 had, he threw really pretty balls at the combine. They all do. And people, fall, people are – NFL teams are just – Desperate for a quarterback, understandably, because it's the most important position in all of sports. Mm-hmm. But this is a guy who's such a question mark. He took so many sacks at Liberty. His like pressure, his sack rate is like is like is like twenty percent higher than the second most, which was Sam Howell, who also I don't like. But it's people are so desperate that they find they only pick at like the the tape that they like and look at, look at that great pro throw. Look at that great pro throw. And they're not looking at all like the, Oh, he never throws over the middle of the field because he's afraid to, he only throws to the outside. That's someone who doesn't, that is not ready for an NFL offense. This is someone who you need to 
cook in a QB development for a couple years. Going, you can't go from Liberty to being worth a top ten pick unless you were the Michael Jordan of Liberty. And he was he was a really good quarterback. But I was gonna say some people are calling him the Michael Jordan of Liberty. But man. like like Josh Allen's an anomaly. Josh Allen was bad his first year, and he wasn't that good his second year, and then he exploded. If you have that patience, take him. But if you're expecting him to start from day one, don't take Malik Willis. I, I hear that. I hear that. Kyle, most overhyped QB. Yeah, for me, and, and this is really, really in the last two weeks of what the opinion's been on him, is uh, Desmond Ritter. Um, Matt, I kind of like Desmond Ritter. Matt, yeah, to me, Desmond Ritter is like, I, I really do like guys that are winners. Obviously, a huge winner in college. That Especially at the quarterback position, that's a big thing. He's proved he could do it before, albeit a lower level of football, but... Um, to me, it's like you can't point to one thing Desmond Ritter does. That's the best thing of any quarterback. Like you break down the quarterback position, arm strength, you know, getting outside the pocket, making the right play. I don't think Desmond Ritter is number one on any of those categories. Put it all together, he's a pretty good quarterback. But this is more of a recency thing where I'm seeing Desmond Ritter like as high as the second quarterback off the board. Have Desmond Ritter as QB5 and solidified there? Yeah, because that's a second, maybe even third round pick in this draft. If Desmond Ritter goes in the first draft on my favorite team, I'm mad at my GM in that. Matt V said yesterday to me, uh, I feel like, forget if we said it on the video. I don't think we did because we didn't talk quarterbacks. That he's hearing the Steelers like Desmond Ritter, like second best after Malik Willis. Like if they don't trade up for Willis, there's a good shot they take Ritter over guys like Pickett, Corral, and these guys. And I just don't see it with Ritter. Yeah, that's not – I mean, for, for me, Desmond Ritter is a guy that – like, it, it, like, kind of what you said, pretty good at a lot, doesn't excel at anything. I'm I, not I, using the first-round pick on him. I, I, I definitely wouldn't. Yeah. Jake, hit him with it. I only – well, I, not only. I have put this into uh, Ryle up Kyle. But Kenny Pickett, I think, You're a is troll. Getting, getting a little bit too, too much hype. Just a little bit too much hype. Like, I don't think Everyone's he's – low on him. I don't think he's going to be the worst uh, quarterback – I don't think he's that bad of a quarterback prospect. I think he has some paths to success in the NFL, but, like – what archetype can you point to that has had success in the NFL that he like falls neatly into? I, I don't, I don't know if there is one. Um, I, I'm always a little cautious on guys who are any sort of reliant or, or not, not over reliant, but like I would say Pickett relies on the run too much without being a high level athlete to, to exist in the NFL. Like, and granted I'm not the majority I don't think Josh Allen should run. I don't want Lamar Jackson as my quarterback because I think that ultimately that end of it leads to you getting hurt or doing something that loses you a game. Um, you're right. Maybe in terms of hype, he's not, but I know that you're hyped on him, so I have yeah. No, there's some well, people. This, the thing with Pickett that's positive, I'll let the homer go last because he used watching the most. Um, but Pickett's – what's really likable about Pickett is that you could see his progression because he was the starter for Pitt – for so long and the way he developed and worked on his game to become a first round quarterback potentially is the kind of hard work and work ethic you want in a first round pick. And the fact that he led Pitt to an ACC title, like that's a huge achievement. Pitt's never won a conference title by themselves in the history of their football program. Uh, partly because it was independent for a while, but when they're in the big East, they never they never won one. They won, Other, they won a national championship in the eighties. Yeah, <laughs> no, Georgia did. Maybe in the eighties, I said. Um, but uh, the this pit football since two thousand has been really poor, 
except for like a decent year in like the Big East once. And he brought them to a height they haven't seen in this generation. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. Pivot football is an average. They've always produced good pros, though, is yeah. where we could put that. Um, to me, the Jake's point about the running is like Pickett isn't reliant on the run. Right. It's like not... watching Kenny Pickett and like to that progression. Pickett's going to try to be the pocket passer. He's going to get through three reads. And I think it's actually a plus that he knows when to get out of the pocket and he is good using his legs. The thing that I've loved the most is just like the confidence I've had with him at quarterback being a fan is something I've really never had since like Donovan McNabb when as an Eagles fan. Right. And then Carson Wentz there for a little pocket before he got hurt in the year he was going to win MVP. So like I've seen Kenny Pickett go out and like just win games, make throws and not really miss throws. He skies them a little high. That's like the only miss throws I've seen as Pickett is he does sky him a little high, but he was making throws last year that are just like throw out the arm strength that, you know, Malik Willis is going to have over him, you know, throw out the hand size, which I don't think, I think that's a tiebreaker when you're looking at prospects. I don't think that's a downside on an NFL prospect. That's like, if I'm between two guys and they're really close, I don't know if I've one guy has a bigger hand size. Hand is. Right. Like to me, they're like, do that. The throws I saw him make last year and just being a football player and playing the quarterback position, I've seen, like, I, I think he's QB1 in my eyes. I'm not mad if you go Willis. I'm not mad if you go Corral. But if you have anyone else over him, I think it's crazy. I mean, Kenny Pickett is the same thing that happened with Desmond Ritter. They got the, the Dan Olofsky co-sign on the big board. If you go on Dan Olofsky's board, if he breaks down your your, your game – there's gonna be you're gonna start shooting up draft boards, man. You just get a lot of hype around you. They they both got it. Um, mine is is you mentioned him, Sam Howell. Um, I would just look at like I don't I don't even know if that many people are, are high on him. Maybe I'm just using this as a way to say I'm I don't I'm not a Sam Howell believer. I don't I don't yeah. like I have a lot of stock in Sam Howell because I don't I don't know who's really thinking Sam Howell's gonna go like as as a high draft pick. He's gonna go as a backup somewhere, but. I just I just look at it, his career. It was a long career at North Carolina, um, but. Nothing jumps out at me on the tape. He's not athletic. Doesn't doesn't make like the, the greatest throws in the world. I think he's a product of having like being in a not great QB draft class, so he stays afloat. Like if he's in a a, a deep QB draft class, you know, we're talking about him fifth, sixth, maybe not getting drafted, but you know he gets the benefit of not being in a really deep QB draft class. What happened with Hal is he had his best year the COVID year, yeah, and North Carolina was great, mm-hmm. and then he got all this hype going in last year, and he just was just okay and that's just i think he could be good i i I like him more than like desmond ritter um but he's the only of the main of the he's fourth on my board let's not forget too that that year matt talking about yeah sam howell did play well unc won a lot of football games but they also ran the ball more than any other team in the acc and have two guys javante williams and michael carter who just had productive rookie seasons at the running back position. And then you take those weapons away from him and Sam Howell has a bad year last year. And UNC was a preseason favorite uh, to be the other, because when the you take, winner, you have yeah. to take Clemson out when you talk about the ACC. Like they were the favorite outside of Clemson to win the ACC like last 11th year. Pre-season. Yeah. To me, I don't think Sam Howell is an NFL starter at any point in his career, a productive one. He'll get his opportunities, of course. I don't think Sam Howell is ever going to be your starting quarterback week one, and you're confident in that guy. Truthfully, if you can't win in the ACC, I, I, you can't. And the top heavy comment that was going to be one of my points. Yeah, the top heavy comment is like coastal. this: is, huh. the coastal is wild. <laughs> who's Coastal's the top team? Who's man. the top team in the co- pit? Yeah. Top team. In the no, every year it's someone else. It's Virginia, yeah. and then it's Miami. Yeah. 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 
<laughs> yeah, that's tough. All right, real quick for the last one. I seen a, a name and a sentence as to why the Russell Wilson Award, a player who had a great college career, but is going to, for some reason, just fall to a later round. Jake, who's your award? Yeah, I, I benefit from being the first person here because I think this one's easy. Uh, Kenneth Walker's probably going to be the taking, only name that I can really think of. He's going to be, be honest, taking like yeah. the third or fourth round. And really the staggering part is he's probably going to be like the third or fourth running back taken. I would say I don't, there are some realities where, you know, he ends up first, second. Um, but I think that there's a lot of people who like Brees Hall. There's a lot of people who like Isaiah Spiller. It's just pretty much what does your team need? Right. So he's a guy who we're going to look back on in a couple of years, be like, wow, he was a great, great college player. Why did he go after these guys? And um, yeah, we'll see. Kyle, Nicobe Dean. Uh, I have a sneaky feeling he's going to be a like late first, early second. Mm. Where two months ago he was a mid first, easy like fifteen to sixteen range. Um, he was the best player on arguably the best college defense of all ever, time, ever, ever of ever, all ever, time. Ever. I mean, like I think he's like super good. He's going to be one of those guys. Like uh, me and my buddy, you know, Shy. Mm. We we look back at like drafts all the time. I don't know why Shy loves drafts, but every time we're talking, we get into drafts. And there's always a guy that goes behind 10 guys you've never heard of because they didn't have good NFL careers. So if Nicobe Dean drops to 35, drops to 40, he's going to be a guy in my eyes that we look back on and was better than every single person outside of, you know, the here and there outlier mm. going up to like pick 20. And so. shined in the national championship, was all over yeah. the national championship. Matt, give me a name. I'm going to pick another one who shined in a national title game, but then it's some injury problems later, and that's Clemson's Justin Ross. Mm. He was just as good as T. Higgins mm. yep. in that 2018 title year as a freshman. He was very good the next year with some injury issues. He had a lot of injury issues 2020. And last year, he played with a horrible quarterback. He's going to fall to like the third. Ungulele. Ungulele. Uyagalele. And he's going to fall to like third, fourth round. Clemson receivers always hit. Jersey Amorian, Hunter Renfro, fifth rounder hit. T. Higgins, late first rounder, great pick. DeAndre Hopkins, late first rounder, great pick. Clemson, one of the best wide receiver schools in the country. Taking him in the third or fourth round is going to be a great pick. And it, it's a deep class, so he will be available, yeah. like you're saying, in those later rounds. Yeah, I, I'd love Flyer. That's man. a good yeah. that, that, that is a really good one. Jake, you took mine. I don't have another one. So we're almost out of time <laughs> for this episode of Straight Facts. We can get some shots about the buzzer. As always, got something to say at the buzzer. Who's got some? Uh, really quick, came up in conversation, pretty polarizing. Give me a yes or no answer. Could you beat up a emu in a fight? Y'all be y'all be sleeping on wild animals, man. I, not me. Y'all I be sleeping. I'm, I'm te- like like it has like ill intentions towards you. It's not like a boxing match or anything, but like an emu, like the lemu emu. You ever see? No, it's yeah. Like, so I look at. I'm taking this thing out. Are you kidding me? How, how big? Yeah, is, I think how you see me. How big? Can they get like six feet or something stupid like that? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Five point seven feet. Okay, so I, they, these wild animals are like instinctually trained to like fight for their life. Yes, I'm a human who's been so like am I. Dude, how many fights you've been in your life, man? Like, like this, this thing life. fights for its life like, every day. Yeah, yeah. This thing is in survival mode every I'm, day. I'm With that up. being said, I'm I'm beating the crap out of it. <laughs> do, 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 do I if I get <laughs> weapons, I'm gonna be the no, guy fits no, 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 barehanded. This fight, no, nah, I'm gonna lose. I think not an emu. I hear what you're saying, Matt, and there are a lot of animals that you people will be surprised to hear me say. I don't think I could beat in a fight. I got, I got, I, I can take an emu though. I think I got emus are the emu. one that stick their head in the dirt. Like for that reason, yeah. like you're dumb, boy. Like I can't let one of them. Nothing that out. nothing that doesn't have arms can beat me in a fight. Not it just has a beak though, and it has a long neck on land. Pause. No on way. Land. No, no way. Just, just, no just, way. Just no way. Oh, dude, I'm taking this thing out. I'm watching the emu fight a kangaroo right now. 
Oh, a kangaroo, it's got no chance. No, it's like a baby kangaroo. And the emu, the emu is six foot now, now a kangaroo. A I've, heard, I've heard people say they think they can beat a kangaroo. And if there's anyone out there who thinks they can beat a kangaroo in a fight, I mean, you I are so delusional. You got a better chance of beating prime Mike Tyson. Kyle, it is, first of all, you think it's going to punch you until it hops on its tail and drops When it hits you with a drop kick, yeah, that, that'd be tough. It breaks your ribs, breaks your entire rib cage. Oh. It's over. All the time so we different. spend worrying about Philadelphia sports, James sp- spends worrying about Australian animals. I'm going to tell you all a story one time. Me and my college roommate, Ron, shout out to Ron. I hope he's listening to the podcast. We we watched a documentary on Netflix. It's called The World's 72 Most Dangerous Animals. And, and it was based in Australia, which is why I'll never travel to the, to the continent of Australia. But the, the things that I saw out there in this world that can take you out, oh, man, I'm terrified. Crazy. I'm, I'm absolutely, know they exist. I'm absolutely, absolutely terrified. I'm cool on U.S. soil. You guys got something to say at the buzzer? Uh, buying a new car sounds really fun to until who? you realize <laughs> you, all you're thinking about is you're terrified of anything messing up the car. Yeah, yeah, so like it's great for like the first like day, uh, and then you're like, I, I, I have, I'm you're just worried about every little. Pothole, every little. <laughs> and you live in Pennsylvania, so good yeah, luck yeah, worrying yeah, about the potholes, so, buddy. So, Enjoy if you if you aren't like neurotic like I am. Enjoy getting a new car, but it's it's been a little stressful. It's a tough Even market. Though I, it's really nice to have. But overall, I really what like kind of car did you get? What kind of car? Uh, 2022 Civic. Ooh, there you Ooh, go. The 22s, okay. the 22s on them. Matt taking me Boy. home. Kyle, you got something to say? The buzzer? Not really, but I had a conversation I don't, you know at I don't work like today. You do this. I had a conversation at work today, um, and I do think that the Eagles should take Kenny Pickett. Oh, oh I'm, yeah. not I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Snuck it I, in there. The no, I, I know we talked about Pickett. Pickett. I know we talked about Pickett, but <laughs> we didn't talk about the Eagles. I think the Eagles should take any Pickett. Jalen Hurts is not. Give the me man. the person who you were talking to's number. In I fact, I want to call. Right I'm even peeping out Kyle show if up. The Eagles vintage shady jersey. Eagles are. He ready for Howie to do some crazy tonight. Thursday could be a horrible day. Friday could be like the biggest day in Philadelphia sports radio history if we take Kenny Pickett in the first round and the Sixers lose. That'd be sick. It'll be it'll be mayhem. It'll I be- legitimately was looking through the picks and I was like, okay, yeah, you probably take a defensive guy. But then I was thinking, like, I don't want Jalen Hurts to play well this year. It's like that's weird to that, say because yeah, I don't weird. want him to be our future Pretty quarterback. Weird, weird I don't want him that to be our weird. future quarterback. But why, if he if he can perform well, why don't? Because I don't think he's going to Super Bowl. I don't think Jalen Hurts going to Super Bowl. Wait a minute, we're coming close to one of my takes. Okay, and why not? <laughs> he's not good enough, and he's, he's never going to be good quarterback. enough. Because he can't he's win with a running quarterback, though. He's a mobile quarterback. He's not a running quarterback. Lamar Jackson is a running They design runs for Jalen Hurts. He most certainly is a okay, running Okay, I'm not going to lie. because they design runs for him. I'm going to be ruined. Once the run NFL court. season like comes around, I'm going to be ruined hard for the Eagles. I'm going to be ruined for Jalen Hurts. But now that we're in the offseason and you're thinking, especially around draft time, teams are shaking up, uh, free agency is going to open up or already opened up, stuff's going to change. Um, I had a time to reflect, and I'm like, I don't think Jalen Hurts will ever win a Super Bowl as a quarterback. I don't think he's good enough. Kenny Pickett is though. Yes, he is. <laughs> Un- unbelievable. All right. Um, all I gotta say at, at the buzzer at the buzzer is as buzzer. the weather as because of tongue twister as the weather <laughs> starts to get really nice, man, and you start to like go outside and start to go to the beach and everything. Let's remember. Let, let's let's just everybody take into consideration, okay, that when you go outside in public, it's it's not just you. And, and the people you're around with and the people you're there out there at these beaches and everything, there's other people around too. I can't even get in to what 
I really like the, the, the specific example I have in my head. Just just be mindful of when you're out in places and you're in a group that there's people next to you and there's people behind you. And it's not nah, like, bro, like really just just yeah, I'm, I'm getting hot. Like I'm getting I'm hot. Not, and what I've noticed is like uh, <laughs> people are like acting different after COVID outside. Now. Yo, like, people, people really starting don't to care. lose their minds. People don't care. People start to lose. I've actually think. I, I might be like I might have an older soul than I realize. I don't like teenagers, man. I realize that. Not this generation of teenagers. I really don't like <laughs> teenagers. Not every generation. Every yeah, generation. Yeah, fair. But like that, like I see them walk into places and like like when they come into my job, I just automatically like like. There's a group of like, them that go to my gym that it, they will congregate in the locker room and just scream curse words. I really have a reason. like a get off my lawn mentality. No, I'm washed. I'm, I'm washed, it. and I am yeah. Like I like that. I had a mom me. return a phone because. Her daughter was crying that she got midnight blue instead of regular blue. Yeah, the mom, the mom would. The mom's got to do better. You yeah, tell your that's daughter. On the mom. You that's tell your daughter mom. I had a Nokia brick when I was ten. <laughs> you tell your I daughter. I, guess, like, I actually, it actually, it is. It actually is teenagers. I'll tell you all off camera. I'll tell you off camera. But uh, we're out of time for this episode of Straight Facts. It was a great one. Shout out to LeVar Arrington, TJ Hoosman's uh, out of Plexico Burst and the whole Up On Game podcast network. Shout out to my guys, Jake Galley, Kyle Sirik, Ed Stat, Matt Robinson. They're already sweating in their chairs for a game six that hasn't even happened yet in Toronto. But I'm James Jackson. These have been the facts. Straight up. I knew he was going to do it.